Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Alex Avila with Love University. I'm back. I'm an author, psychologist, and speaker. Every week, we talk about how to love ourselves, others, and higher nature, how to improve our finances, career, health, relationships, and spirituality. And we have a very interesting guest today. This is Dr. Donna Sprout-Metz. And Donna, I briefly met you at the uh, LA Times Book Festival uh, for a little bit, and then we wanted you to come on the show. And she is, uh, I guess what you could call a polymath. She has a lot of different uh, expertise. Uh, and also, she has four master's degrees, a doctorate as well. She's a former professor of psychology and public health at USC, a McDowell Fellowship uh, Fellow in Poetry, and was a professional flutist as well. And her poetry appears in various publications, Los Angeles Review, Poetry Northwest, Copper Nickel, and she just got an award from Harvard Review Prize as well. And her recent work is General Release from the Beginning of the World. Welcome, Donna, to the show. Thank you. Now, Donna, you have a very fascinating uh, history here, it looks like, uh, career-wise. It looks like you've evolved careers, I think you mentioned even spontaneously, you went from, I think, uh, music, uh, psychology, uh, poetry, religion. Tell us a little bit about how that evolved. Um, <laughs> I always wrote poetry, always. And um, when I was 18 or 19, I... Um, started playing the flute and I loved it. Now I come from a musical background. My mom was a jazz pianist and I played other instruments as a kid, but um, I realized that if I wanted to play flute, I was going to have to study it. And I was really late. There was nobody who's going to take somebody who's been playing for six months at 18 or 19 years old hmm. at a conservatory. So Cal arts was taking Cal arts was pretty experimental down back in the day. And um, you could you could belong, you could apply in any program and then switch programs internally. Yes. So I applied as a poet and got in and walked across the quad and became a flutist <laughs> and didn't really write for a while. Poetry's hard. Poetry's the hardest of any of the things I've ever done. And so I um, studied at CalArts, got my bachelor's and master's there. Moved to Holland, got another master's there. Wow. Well, I wanted to study with a particular teacher, Franz Fester. And the yes. only way to do it was to be at the conservatory. And then I uh, was a professional flutist. And meanwhile, um, was practicing. Playing is wonderful. Practicing can be boring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I always wanted to study psychology just for fun. And I had a gig in Rotterdam. I was living in Amsterdam at the time. My car broke down. I was in a cab. And we drove past this building in Amsterdam that they call the Doodskist. And I asked, which means coffin. And I asked the taxi driver what that building was. He said, oh, that's the University of Amsterdam Psych Department. It was just, it was dusk and they had lights on. He said, they just started a new part-time evening program. I thought, oh, cool, that'll be fun. Let me out. So I got out, went upstairs. Long story short, I ended up going to school for fun. Wow. Um, it was a brand new program and really poorly organized. And I was performing and teaching flutist and I needed it to be better organized. So I got involved, ended up running it. I slowly but surely sort of ended up going into psychology and then got a PhD there. Donna, let me ask you something. You know, you've heard of the Jungian topology, the um, 
and Myers-Briggs, uh, structured, spontaneous personality. Yeah. Are you a spontaneous kind of person or are you more structured? I'm probably not very structured. Uh, okay. I mean, I like structure. Yes. I, I love structure. I can be very uptight about structure. Uh-huh. Yes. But in the broad strokes of my life, it's not really been, it's all been serendipity. Spontaneous. Now, I wonder, like, people listen to us, maybe even college students or other people that want to, you know, figure out their, their in Spanish we call it don, or don divino, the gift from the God. You're, you say your talent. And uh, some people are afraid of their talent. Some people embrace it. Others do it later in life. You know, maybe, like, they want to be writers, but they're accountants first, and then they become writers later. And um, it seems like you are very talented. I know the terms like polymath, renaissance person, you do a lot of things. Uh, do you think it's something, is it genetic, environmental? Uh, where do you get all these talents? I'm just restless. Restless? Oh, okay. I just get restless. <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, but thank you. That's like a real compliment. Sure. Okay. So you just kind of like, um, I mean, would you have a brilliant mom or dad or grandparents or something that were very genetically smart? As far as you know. My dad was very smart. Mm. Okay. Also very troubled, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So geniuses can be a little bit of both, right? Uh, how about for a uh, college student? I know you worked at USC for a while. Uh, what's your advice to those uh, trying to find their path in career-wise and life um, to uh, you know, achieve happiness? Um, I don't. I think we're sort of past the phase where you have one career. Many people have more than one. Mm-hmm. So um, don't. I think it's really important not to feel like you've got to make the final decision, you know, that it's every decision about your career or your future is going to make it or break it. Cause it turns out not to be true. Mm. Certainly when I was um, working with my, with students at USC, I had a lot of PhD students and it was like, Oh my God, this decision is so important. Mm. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Well, you have something called, uh, Donna, you've heard of the gig economy, where you, know, you have like uh, part-time gigs to make money. And uh, back in the day, I don't remember people talking about it like that. So maybe it's giving you permission to experiment in different little fields. No, I think one. the gig economy is a, a terrible, terrible mis- mistreatment of us by the people with real money. Ah, so tell me about it's that. A capitalist. Right? Oh, capitalist. Or horrible, horrible mess. Mm-hmm. And people that are stuck doing gigs without insurance. So basically part-time work. Uh, part-time work. Mm-hmm. So that's not a gig. <laughs> Your part-time work, if you have an actual part-time job ah. that actually uh-huh. gives you um, security and uh, pension and health insurance, then yay. Ah. Okay. So that's the difference. But part-time work, you're okay with, right? People trying different part-time jobs and things to um, gain experience sure. in life to figure out what they want. Yeah. I, I mean... Everybody has their own path. I'm not a part-time person, which is how I ended out when I really got serious about poetry again. Yes. In the end, leaving the university. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you became part-time a part-time. On both of those things, and it was just, it was, I was, I didn't have any time to breathe. I so. see. Now, you tell me you're doing research. Uh, I noticed uh, something about mobile health. Is that one of your research areas that you're into? Uh, yeah, I had a center on mobile health. Say that again? I had a center, a little center. On oh, okay, interesting. So that's kind of like on your phone, like you get information from doctors, or how does that work usually? Um, it's using new technologies to help people improve their health. Hmm. So in, it's mostly interventions. Okay, because I know in uh, psychology, we've had telehealth, especially during the pandemic. A lot of people are now 
Eating therapy online. Or, you know, right. That's telehealth. That's right. a different terminology. That's different. Yeah. But you do it yeah. through the phone. Is that called mobile health versus like? Not something? necessarily. I mean, it could be part of it, mm-hmm. but how mobile health was originally conceived of back in the day that we conceived of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was using new technologies to help people achieve healthier lives. And, and you could say throughout the pandemic that the ability to do telemedicine does have that, you know, you could plead yes. for it. It, it, it is, if, if we're going to call mobile health, a, a huge umbrella of things, right. then telehealth might be part of it. And it certainly right. has been important to reach people that are otherwise hard to reach or don't have the time. So I think it's a wonderful development. Right. And psychology, we see it has pretty good effectiveness. And sometimes people are embarrassed to come to an office or talk about their problems, but mm-hmm. you know, through telehealth, they're comfortable about it. And of course, if they, if they don't have a car or, you know, can't afford a babysitter and stuff like that, exactly. it can be very useful uh, to do that. Right. The other thing I noticed that you're interested in, I think, is childhood obesity, which I think, um, is that another area of, of you? That was my area of research for 25 years, yeah. 25 years. So, I mean, let's say up to 20% of children or teenagers are obese. Our society, you know, is perhaps that. What do you think is the issue? Now, we know about the uh, 24-hour food things and people associate food with, um, you know, enjoyment or even when they're sad, you know, people eat as a result. Um, what do you think is a cause of, of obesity in America? I think it's predominantly environmental. Mm-hmm. And I think that that environment has been created by McDonald's. and ah. yes. um, So it's definitely, there's a genetic pro- propensity when, confr- right. when confronted with, a, with, a, with the food deserts that we live in, especially if yes. you're poor. Right. Um, some people are more, are genetically more prone to get fat. Mm-hmm. but it's not not the entire population right and i mean obesity in adults is way up right so fast and, food is cheap i guess so people that can't afford regular food do they eat the fast food yeah but even yes absolutely vegetables are expensive and uh one issue yeah. and yeah. also fast foods are made are, are tasty people like fat and sugar sure it uh, reinforces itself, yeah. It reinforces itself, and uh, it also physiologically does. I mean, interesting right. research has shown that. Right. And also maybe emotionally, maybe people in the pandemic felt depressed or isolated, so maybe they ate more. I notice I gained some weight. Others have as well. Did you gain weight during the pandemic, or no. you kept it cool? Yeah. Uh, yes. What was your secret? Are you like a high-metabolism person, or are you just monitoring your eating well? I monitor my eating. I mean, I did too much research in that area. Oh, ah, okay. So you know to- you know, yeah. Do that. Okay. Now, uh, another interesting thing, I was reading uh, your materials uh, about age. I think you had an interview about that. And, uh, you know, we have like the um, the old young person, someone who's not that old, but psychologically they feel depleted, maybe dejected and depressed. And then there's, there's the uh, young old who chronologically are older, but, you know, they have a youthful spirit and, and vivacity. And uh, you even say that you actually see yourself in different ages when they ask you that question. You say... Yeah, I see myself as a fatherless child in first grade, uh, writing uh, my first poem, a girl in a commune, a woman child, playing guitar in a rock band, uh, a bride woman, a woman husband fell in love with, a professor of psychology, and now poetry, uh, which you avoided all your life. So tell us about that. How, how's that. How do you see age in that sense? I think poetry is like you write because you, like Leonard Cohen said, you write because you have to. Mm. And um, why does I, it say that too? That's, that's inside you. You got to get it out. 
It's not so much that it's just, it is something that's always been a part of me and I avoided it and certainly avoid sharing what I wrote for a long time because I um, couldn't get to it. I couldn't get to the meat of it. And I guess if you, I guess living in the world for long enough, you slowly open those doors. I mean, at some point you just, you, I turned around and faced poetry at some point. Yeah. yeah. I want to get more into the facing the poetry. I think that's a very okay. interesting concept. But when you talk about age, I mean, I really like the idea that you say you're, you see yourself in different ages psychologically. Tell mm-hmm. us about that part. You see, do you see yourself as a little girl or as an older woman? How do you see yourself overall? That depends on when you catch me. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a playful girlish moment and then the you know, young adult moment and the older moment? I think so. I think so. I think that's a nice way to look at it. You know, it's um, kind of a multifaceted thing. And um, I think one of the questions was, uh, what is age given and taken away from you? How would you answer that question? I think age has given me some calm and a little bit of bravery. Oh, bravery. And um, a better overview. Like knowing that if I make a bad decision today in my career, it's not the rest of it's not the, for the rest of my life. Yes, didn't feel like that when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So when and, you left USC, was there is it difficult? Was it sad? Or is it happening? no? I was done. <laughs> oh, you're done. <laughs> I, I was. I was. Um, it was great. It was a great ride, and I was very happy to be done with it. Okay, so it's a sense of completion, like you've done this yeah. and all that. Yeah, moving on. Now, in that same interview, they asked you, what do you want with more age? And I think you said something like, I love of uh, dogs. I think you mentioned dogs, travel, and stories. Is that I want to write more poetry. That's Poetry, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Now, do you have a dog, by the way, or do you like dogs? <laughs> uh, two dogs? Yes. Are they, are they around town? We can see them or no? Um, one of them is laying right here. Okay. You want me to yeah, aim sure. my screen? Why not? Yeah, if you want to pick them up or whatever. You know, or oh, something. and I can't pick her up. She's too big. Oh wow, it's a fluffy one. Yeah, it's kind of um what do you call that kind of dog? It's got a lot of it is a Australian Shepherd, and then I have another one. If I call him, he'll come. Oh, okay. He might not go. Sky. <laughs> Sky. Okay. Come here, baby. Come here, baby. She's playing hard to get. She doesn't want to come. Oh wow. Wow. Okay. Now that's love, huh? <laughs> that's great. I have a little uh, miniature golden retriever who's like a psychology kind of dog. But, uh, All right, it's enough. Uh, okay, they give you unconditional love, which is is kind of rare, right, in the society. Enough, puppy. Okay, she'll take oh, over the show, and they'll be about the dog, right, instead of the <laughs> poet. <laughs> That's kind of nice. Now, you know, poetry seems like it's very important to you, and uh, you know, there's something called poetry therapy. They say even in uh, Egyptian times, they use poetry as a healing thing. Uh, of course, the Old Testament, you know, Psalms, and a lot of those, you know, Song of Solomon are poetry. And even uh, Walt Whitman, they say in the Civil War, he actually read poetry to soldiers to help them recover. And today, people even use poetry um, to get to unconscious feelings. What's your idea about that? Do you think poetry has a therapeutic benefit in today's society? As, as somebody who's who studied psychology uh, and therapy, I studied it. I just didn't do it. I, I kind of hate to brand it like that. But do I think that it can help people? Yeah. I mean... I think it can help those who write it and those who read it. Mm. I don't know. Um, is it the Paris Review that had a um, column, maybe still has a column called 
Poetry Rx. It's oh. prescription. Somebody would write in and say, I'm feeling this way or that way. What poem? Sh-? And this is what happened to me. And then whoever was writing the column at the time, Kabe Akbar did it for a while, would say, oh, you should read this poem. Hmm. So, so what is it about poetry? I mean, you're reading it, it rhymes, and it, does it tap into a certain feeling that can elevate you or give you insight that's special for people, you know, to help them yeah. psychologically? Yeah. My poetry doesn't rhyme. Oh. Maybe okay. plant rhymes, though. Okay. Well, there's something about the word choice. Uh, have you heard of Khalid Gibran, by the way? Uh, of course. He's got some pretty cool stuff, you know. It's yes, uh, very yes. inspiring. And um, so in terms of, um, now your recent book is a very uh, interesting name, General Release from the Beginning of the World. Now, you do mention that you, there it is. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, wow, grapes too. Oh, okay, that's interesting. And then uh, you said you were um, raised in the Jewish tradition, Reformed Jewish, and you're spiritual quite a bit. Now, they talk about this book, and they say it's uh, that you riff on the Psalms uh, and, interrogate, and seeking answers from a genderless, nameless deity referred to only as you. It can set you free, but also break your heart. Are you talking about God or something else in this? That's not me. That's Carl Phillips who said oh, that. Oh, okay. Said, me. Did I say that? I see it in your book review. I don't know. Someone said it, I think, about you, I believe, or your book. Yeah, somebody else said it. Yeah, someone yes, about that's Carl book. Phillips. Carl Phillips on the back of the book. Oh, okay, so he's uh, he's reviewing. The, he's talking about the book. Yeah. Uh, so what does that mean? Actually, uh, the, the the deity it was. Did you talk about God in the book or or in the poetry or something else? Um, I would say it's God, um, but it's you know however you experience that. It's good or God or goddess or uh-huh. whatever's holy or. Okay, but the other thing is, um, it's interesting, you talk about reconcile the death of the father, the lives of the mother, and a hidden half-sister. Is this all about you, or is this a fictional creation thing? You never ask a poet a question like that. Is it really? Oh, okay. So we don't know exactly. Uh. It's, you know, it's always, poetry is always to some extent autobiographical, but the speaker is the speaker. Oh, okay. So we don't know for sure. But something uh, deep inside you wanted to write this, this kind of thing. And, Actually, um, I'd like to write something else entirely, but you don't always have a choice. Ah, so it comes from you. Can you tell us, uh, is there a message or is there a theme in it or this kind of thing? Not one. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think there's just one message or theme. I, there, you know, a lot about family, a lot about, you know, whatever, God and the, whatever is holy. Um, and a lot about the environment. Okay. And what a mess we're making of our world. Mm. But it seems like from what they wrote about it, this is an interesting concept. It says she breaks her own heart to touch yours. Yeah. So that's a beautiful phrase. I'm not sure. What does that mean to you when they say that? Did you break your heart to do this thing? Writing this? Yeah. It's heartbreaking. In terms of like memories from your past or just in general, something about it um, kind of hit you? Some memories on one hand and trying to find the truth. and. Just the struggle to write true words. Yeah. Could, is it possible? Can you read a little bit of that from, to us? From the book? Yeah, sure. sure. Something that will be kind of like um, a nice one. Kitchen sink after Psalm 96. In the kitchen, singing at the top of my lungs while the water's running, music turned up, dogs barking, I'm slicing vegetables squeezing lemons, 
I'm here in the middle of your noisy bounty. You bless me with this onslaught, and now I'm trying to figure out how to return the favor, how to bend to the sacred business of witnessing the day. In every nation, drought and hunger, flood and fire, loss, nations devouring other nations, yet the egret standing one-legged in the marshes, yet the sizzling of the vegetables in this pan. Yet these cities of tents and boxes, what can I do but turn and face your awesome gates and witness and witness and pour it out to you with heart through my open mouth singing at the top of my lungs? I am so busy with my small offices and anxious needs while you make and do while I'm not looking. Consider the wonders of your sanctuary, for instance, the heights of it, its windows and doors, its openings and closings, how I enter it or it enters me, then vanishes. And then it is for me to sing you back to splendor. Not that I have that kind of power. No, it's you. You, in your kindness, have turned up the volume. And as I turn your many names over and over, polish them to smooth stones, let me leave all these silly trinkets here with you. Nice. Very beautiful. Very nice. Very spiritual as well. And uh, you say many names. Are you mean like uh, Yahweh or even other religions uh, named for God? Oh, there's six. In, just in Judaism, we have... 60 names. 60 names. That's amazing. Or some, some number around there. Yes. Yeah. So the spiritual component, so the your Judaism, I know you trained in that as well. You went to school or something, I believe. I went to rabbinical school for two years. <laughs> and then, uh, so the Psalms, so it's like, uh, I guess David was doing that, right? He was praising God, but he also was saying, I'm being followed and chased. Exactly. Know, I'm overwhelmed. Now, you didn't go into that part of it. You're more in the praising, it sounds like. Praising the higher. In this, in this poem here. Not always. In this poem, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this poem. Uh, yeah. But you also say, why have you left me behind and all that kind of stuff, which David did that too, I think, sometimes. Or Not quite as... Um, I, mm -hmm. Not quite as naively, I want to say. David was sometimes pretty, hmm. you know, naive in he'd a way. Give, he'd given up. Uh, well, he's like... Almost, almost given up, yeah. Well, back in that day... You might say that we heard voices in our head and thought they were God. So mm. as far as we were concerned, we were talking to God. Mm. And then psychology came along, and eventually it was oh, like, right. voices are internalized now. Uh -huh. so I, I, which gives us a sort of unfortunate amount of agency. Mm. So I can't blame God anymore for everything that I do stupidly. <laughs> In terms of the, the, the well-writtenness of the, of the Old Testament, are there any books that really strike you a lot that you appeal to you uh from the in the old testament yes <laughs> you know we have jo job we have proverbs obviously you know all these things psalms and i like genesis that's a great book oh the beginning okay is that considered yeah. poetry or, or or no some of it not most of it but it's a good book and I, I love the psalms some of them yes and um hmm. how about the song of solomon that's kind of controversial they say 
but yeah. it's about love and other things and uh, sex and roots. Roots. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so spirituality has that. Is that one of your main themes, or I mean, shall we say your influence in, in poetry? The I, th I think so. It's beautiful. Thank you. you see, there's a, a kind of a very depth in your nature. It sounds like very, you know, you go deep inside these things. And uh, it gives you joy, but you did say it took you a long time. You Were you, like, afraid of poetry because of the emotions and stuff? Yeah, I was afraid of it, and I also it was hard. It's hard. Hard work, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's I mean, you know, there's no, you don't, there's no such thing as a grant deadline in poetry. Oh. <laughs> it's all you. <laughs> yes, it's all you. Now, do people and even some people are cynical. They said people don't even, even read today, even books and all that, or poetry. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> they do it on their tablet, or what? Do you, what's your... They read books. I mean, this, book sales went up during the pandemic. Oh, okay. Actual physical books, or you mean like uh, e-books or, or a Kindle? All of it. Oh, okay. So you think people still love the, the, the word, the written word? I do. Now, I how do. about this? Um, if you could tweet one phrase to the world, what, uh, what would that be? I'm not going to play this game. I don't know. You're not good at that? <laughs> Be patient. <laughs> Be patient, you said? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because people are, are pretty impatient, I would say. I'm pretty impatient. <laughs> you're impatient. Okay. What is your plan to hold for you? Is there, is there any projects you're excited about that you want to work, you're working on or that we can hear about? Oh, as Jory Graham would say, I'm just trying to write my way back into, write my way into new music. So it's oh. the first time I've had a full length book come out. And that book is all new poems after that. And now I just am sort of like, what am I doing? It's that really uncomfortable liminal place between books and many poets that well, I know. You play with your dog and take a dog for a walk or something right? in the meantime. And yeah. But, you know, you still have to keep writing. I mean, it's still sure. yeah. sort of a compulsion. So what's your, you said, say that again? It's what? Now? It's a compulsion. I, I mean, just oh, don't, cool. life doesn't sit right with me if ah. I don't. Spend some time. What's your advice to would-be writers now at the book festival? There are a lot of you know writers or people who want to be writers. Would you say get up uh, every morning and write for X number of hours? Um, what's your your take on that? Uh, uh, everybody's different, you know. Um, be patient, have faith, and keep working, but in the way that works for you. Right. Okay. Um, there's a great book. Carl Phillips, who blurbed my book, wrote. Um, a great book just came out called My Trade is Mystery. Oh. And it's about the writing life. Yes. And it's a great book. And it gives you a lot of permission to, you know, for everybody's different. Carl's one of the most prolific poems, poets I know, and he's also my favorite living poet. Wow. I couldn't do it the way he does it. Yeah, <laughs> that's know? true. Everyone's he's a back of the napkin kind of guy. I just, oh, I see. I think I say John Grisham wrote his first book in the in the bathroom when he was sitting down. You know, on a handkerchief or something. So. But, uh, well, Donna, it's been a pleasure having you. Now, now, where can people hear more about your work? Do you have a website? Any kind of ways to get a hold of I you? I do. Just easy. Website is DonnaSMets.com. How do you spell that again? Donna S. Metz. So it's all one word. Uh -huh. D-O-N-N-A-S-M-E-T-Z. Oh, M-E-T-Z. Okay, Metz. Okay. .com. Okay. It has all your uh, stuff on it at work. And, Everything's up there. I have to update it with upcoming events, but it's all. Yeah, excellent. Well, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I'm glad you're inspiring people with your poetry. 
Thank I'm you. glad you now are becoming a hundred percent into the poetry. Full said. frontal poetry. Full frontal. That's going to be the name of my new book. Oh, I like that. Okay, you're going hundred percent. I think that shows that people can have their mission, you know, with you know uh, pure passion. It doesn't matter, you know, what stage you are in life. Some people start later, some people younger, you know. But the key is to get to that point, right? Yeah. To uh, make sure you enjoy and also want to help people. I imagine too, to help them maybe with the um, emotional side of things as well. Yeah. Uh, so again, it's been wonderful having you on the show, and uh, so look forward to having you on maybe a different time when you have some a new uh, something a new uh, book or something. It'd be interesting. Okay, that'd be lovely. Yeah. So this is Dr. Alex Avila. This is Love University, and uh, it's time to put away your notebooks, your iPads, your phones. Class is now dismissed. So that was a great interview live at the Los Angeles Book Festival at USC. We had an amazing time, and this is a great opportunity to interview these wonderful authors and people that have a message that's going to help others. So love university students. If you want to be on the show in the future, or if you have a show idea, and want to comment on today's show, you can reach us at 310-226-8090. You can write to us at loveuniversitylove at gmail.com. You can visit us at loveuniversitylove. You can also download the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Love University Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Love Letter U Podcast. And you can also go to our YouTube channel, Love University. So until next time, this is Dr. Alex Avila. It's time to put away your notebooks, your iPads, your phones. And class is now dismissed. Love yourself, others, and a higher nature. Until next time.